just got played in by the band The Abstinence. This is their song, The Sheriff of Chinatown. It appears on their album, Al Infuerno and Paz, and it appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. This is Monster Kid Radio. I'm your host, writer, Derek M. Cook, and I want to welcome you to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And this time around, kind of stepping outside of the box a little bit. Typically, we talk about movies going back to the silence to about the 60s or so. However, the movie we're talking about this time around is from 1975. I'm talking about the film Inframan, also known as Super Inframan. It's a movie that Ray Jelinek wanted to talk about here on Monster Kid Radio. Now, you've heard Ray on the show in the past. He's joined me for, well, I think, more Monster Kid Radio crashes than anybody out there who's joined us at a Monster Kid Radio crash. And I've recorded with him for another spin-off show down the line, which I'll talk about here at the end of the episode. Well, this time around, Ray was a guest proper. And this week, we're talking about this movie that he saw when he was a kid in the movie theaters. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. I'm excited. Now, this is part one of our discussion of Inframan. In this episode, we're going to talk about kind of a, a super surface level discussion of the movie, where he first saw it, that sort of thing. Now, we're going to get more in depth into the nitty gritty of the movie in the next episode of Monster Kid Radio here in a couple of days. So you want to come back for that. Now, between episodes, you're going to want to go to our website, which is at Monster Kid Radio. .net. Now, over at MonsterKidRadio.net, you can find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. We've got links to our Facebook group, our Live 365 channel, our YouTube, our Flickr album. All of it's right there. Plus, you can find a link to every band and every song that's appeared here on Monster Kid Radio in the past 93 episodes. Up to and including The Abstinence, which you can find over at the-abstinence.bandcamp.com or just follow the link in the show notes. Now, in addition to the Facebook group, we also have a Facebook page. You can find us on Facebook. If you are a user of Facebook, I'm going to ask you to like us on Facebook. And if you do like us already and you see our announcements on Facebook, don't just like them, but maybe share them with your friends on Facebook because Facebook has kind of changed how they do things. I've mentioned this before. I'm going to mention it again. Monster Kid Radio doesn't have the budget that Facebook's looking for when it comes to promoting our posts on our page. Even if you already like us and you follow us on our page, you're not going to see everything we post because Facebook charges for that now. We might not have the advertising budget, but we've got the listeners. So if you see something posted in the Facebook page, just share it and more people will see it. Now, if you have any thoughts about anything that we've talked about here on the show, email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or give us a call. Our voicemail line is 503-4795-MKR. That's 503-4795-657. And finally, we are getting very close to our 100th episode, and we are asking you to help us decide the Monster Kid Radio Top 10 Classic Movie Monsters. Head over to tinyurl.com slash monsterkid100, or again, just follow the link in the show notes, and you'll be taken to a link that will allow you to fill in a form to list your top 10 classic movie monsters. Now, for sake of ease, we are cutting things off at 1970. So anything that happened post-1970, we cannot include that entry. Anything before 1970, though, if you've got some classic movie monsters you want us to make sure we recognize in episode 100, fill in the blanks, fill in your name and email address. In case I have any questions, I can drop you an email and ask you to clarify what you put in. We need this by May 14th. And on episode 100, we're going to have a prize for somebody. We're going to put all the names into the Magic Lovecraft hat. I'm going to draw a name, and you're going to get a prize. The prize pack so far includes an unopened copy of White Zombie on Blu-ray. 
And that's just the start, folks. Keep listening, and you'll hear more about the prize pack we're putting together. And I'm really eager to see what you guys and gals consider your top 10 classic movie monsters. Why don't we go ahead and get on with the show and get to Ray and part one of our conversation about Inframan right after this. They're 12 miles of bad road, and now they have a microphone and their own show. It's the Daily Grindhouse Podcast, the official podcast of dailygrindhouse.com. Starring G. You tell that bitch who sent you here. How sorry I am I can no longer be her friend. And the man called Perry. I'm the one that killed Mungin, whooped Tuesday, and put Wims in the hospital. Called up Thursday to tell five did not the birds, Sarah Jones, son. Reviewing the hits and the hidden from the world of exploitation cinema and beyond. Featuring exclusive cast and crew interviews. Past guests include John Carpenter, Robert Forster, Brian Trenchard-Smith, but still no Steve Gutenberg. <clears throat> well, uh, we'll get him someday. We promise. I mean, we promise. The Daily Grindhouse Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, Podomatic, and of course at dailygrindhouse.com slash podcasts. The Daily Grindhouse Podcast. Tough films for the rough crowd. Got the goddamn message? Let's go to work. At last, science fiction creates the ultimate man. Inframan. And a motion picture creates the ultimate spectacle. Adventure beyond your wildest imagination with the man beyond bionics. Six million light years beyond believability. Is he man or machine? Electronic circuits integrated with living cells in the living body of a man. Powered by nuclear energy. Man, you won't believe your eyes. You won't believe your ears. You won't believe your mind. Now, Joseph Brenner brings you the most advanced product of bionic science. Towering above them all. Thunderbolt fists. Rocket feet. Can Inframan survive heat that melts rock? Cold that freezes fire. Inframan a match for men of steel. Ah! 
motion picture that will stagger your imagination. Man, the ultimate in science fiction. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, living dead and otherwise, you've heard him on the show in the past at various Monster Kid Radio crash events. If we ever get to 50 honest reviews in the iTunes store and we launch our Creature from a Black Lagoon special, you're going to hear him on that, and you're going to hear him today on Monster Kid Radio. I've got Ray Jelinek on the line. How's it going, Ray? It's going good, going good. Excellent. Well, I'm excited. Yeah, it's, it's an exciting time indeed. Oh, yeah, and it's exciting because we're going to kind of fast forward a little bit. Typically, Monster Kid Radio kind of sticks to the 30s to the 60s, but as soon as he brought up this 1975 gem to me almost you know, over a year ago. Yeah, it's been over a year. Yeah, we had to talk about this movie, man. We're talking about, and I'm not going to try to say it in its original Mandarin because well, I have a birth defect that prevents me from speaking other languages. Inframan from 1975, released here in the States in 1976, also known as the Super Inframan. Some movie posters actually have the S-Shield on it. Mm -hmm, Exactly. (laughs) And everything you see online, you see it says Super super Inframan for the most part. Yeah. Except for the the white poster. I kind of like that white poster. Mm -hmm. Now, the white poster, if it's the same one that I'm looking at right now, it also calls him the man to beyond bionics. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of a – and you'll hear this in the trailer too. They were trying real hard to do everything they can to make this movie sell to the American audience, to the American kids. They put the S shield on it for the super part of it, dropping bionics. And in the trailer, you hear them say something about six million light years. Well, that's a dig on the six million dollar man – or not a dig, but kind of a riff on that. They're trying real hard to just – tie into whatever bit of American pop culture they can to make this thing work. And it obviously worked for Ray because he saw it when he was a kid. Yeah, I saw it when I was real young and I was completely just enamored by the whole concept because I had never seen anything like that before. I mean, even on, you know, Friday or Saturday night television, you know, where that's where the these type of movies were played. Mm-hmm. So you weren't familiar with things like Ultraman or anything like that? No. No, I wasn't familiar with Ultraman until actually several years after I watched Inframan. I mean, I was in my teenage years by the time I I encountered my first Ultraman. So this was, this was really cool for the, for the time. The impression that I'm getting is that China and the Shaw brothers and filmmakers in that part of the world were trying to find a way to capitalize on the success of things like Ultraman and is it Common Writer? Cayman Writer? I'm not sure how that's pronounced. I haven't really seen it, so I couldn't say. And that's what this came from. I mean, Inframan is very similar in terms of aesthetics mm-hmm. to that. I would Although agree. it's a completely different type of story. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was completely off the chain as far as storyline was concerned. And it was, a, it was a very, very good dub edit, too. Right. At least in my opinion, from the the limited amount of, of dubbed movies that I've watched over the years, this was a very, very good uh, dubbed edit. That's important to bring up because Ray and I both saw this courtesy of Amazon streaming. And that's the only version that we could get that way. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can definitely go online right now and watch it. I would like to see it in its original language at some point, but like I said, it was a Shaw Brothers production. And a lot of times the Shaw Brothers would not record native sound anyway. Mm-hmm. Because they knew they were going to dub a lot of their movies through different markets. So I don't know if there is an exact original language version of this out there that was shot on set. 
Now, our luck, there probably isn't. And I'm, I'm flipping through some images trying to, f- to see if they have slipped in a decent edit. Looks like there's a DVD from Golden Swallow that looks like the edit is very, very clear. Love to find a copy of that. But in the meantime, Amazon streaming is probably your best bet for now. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the only bet at this point. Yeah. And you know what? It, it looks a little scratchy, mm-hmm. but I think that's okay for what this is. I mean, it kind of lends itself to that feel of sitting in a movie theater on a Saturday afternoon. You know, it has a little bit of a texture to it. Exactly. It's kind of uh, just harkens back to that era where there were the blips and the imperfections in the film as it was segueing even, you know, between reels, you know, where you knew here comes the next reel because there was that imperfection, that that blip jump. Which I'll accept because this movie is so (laughs) there's a frenetic energy to especially when the fight scenes happen. As soon as he becomes Inframan. There's a frenetic energy, this kind of craziness that happens. And, you know, yes. I don't care if it's a little grainy, if somebody's going to run their motorcycle into a monster. I don't care. Exactly. <laughs> Which exactly. I loved. That was amazing at the end. <laughs> yeah, the fight scenes, the chase scenes. I mean, it was the first encounter with one of the mutants when it, um, the guy's driving up the hill in his beat up VW bug. That's what I found fascinating. It was, it was beat up. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, a nineteen, probably a nineteen seventy VW. It was already looked like it'd been <laughs> through the war. And here comes this creature up over the hill and just picks it up and flips it over and it explodes. Everything just, exploded in this movie. Yeah, there was a lot of explosions. Just random explosions. Something hit the water, it explodes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, it was a trip, man. It was so much fun. So this movie, our main villain is Princess Dragon Mom. Mm-hmm. who is going to take over the world and pretty much just shows up on every TV station and radio station and says, I am now in control. That's it. That's it. I'm I'm here. I'm the new boss. Mm-hmm. I'm in charge. And then, of course, she sends some monsters out or mutants out to kind of enforce her, and her will on the rest of the world. But Rayma and company are not having it. No, they come to the, to the head and just start kicking major butt all mm-hmm. over the place. So Inframan, I mean, it has elements of the superhero stories. You know, you have one, this regular guy who, instead of getting shot up with like a super soldier serum, works with the professor to become Inframan and have Inframan, I don't know, are they fused together? Is he now a robot kind of thing? I, I don't know. That's that like kept trying to figure out when, when he was on the table and they were putting him, well, basically assembling him every time he put a new piece of electronics on him that body part kind of flashed with robotics so i don't know if it was fused under his skin or or what have you because he still had the ability to change back and forth between rayma and inframan which i found fascinating and whenever he would transform it was very it was flashy yeah it just what happened he would do a little thing with his hands and his legs and he's now inframan Exactly. It wasn't like Shazam where, you know, the camera panned around as the lightning hit and, you know, you transformed from the kid to Shazam. You know, it's just kind of boom, there he was. Maybe that was a special effects limitation, but whatever. I mean, it worked. Once he eventually became Inframan, because there were a few fight scenes where he decided to, well, somebody decided that Rayman needed to fight without getting into Inframan, which 
when that started happening, especially more than halfway through the movie, I started getting impatient because I want Inframan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Give me Inframan with those Thunderball fists and the infra cutters and all that stuff. I want all that. Exactly. Exactly. I want that sound when he jumps. That wee. <laughs> and I think that was, that was Hong Kong's attempt to build up the momentum to the great reveal, you know. Let's yeah. see if we can develop a story, which they, they tried their hardest. They did pretty well for the time. You know, as far as the story goes, it's pretty basic. It's Princess it Dragon Mom wanting to take over the world. She's got monsters at her beck and call, and Inframan's trying to stop her. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. And I did like, you know, it seems like they spent more of a budget on the minion costumes than they did on the monsters. The skull. I liked that. Those were awesome. Her Stormtrooper-type characters who were mm-hmm. always there, always disposable. Pretty much all black, except for some white ribbing. Mm-hmm. Black motorcycle helmets with some white horns and then a skull inside the helmet. Mm-hmm. I liked those guys a lot. Those are the action figures I'd buy a bunch of if there were action figures for this movie. That Yeah, see, that would be the thing I would probably buy. I would, I would buy an Inframan, and then I would buy just a, a ton of those Stormtroopers. Yeah, they were pretty cool. Uh-huh. They didn't speak, I don't think. No, no. They were just cannon none of fodder. Them spoke. Yeah, exactly. They were <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what they were. But that's not to say there weren't some pretty interesting looking monsters. I forgot and I had mentioned that I had seen parts of this as a kid. I don't remember seeing the whole thing. But I had forgotten that there were so many rubber suited monsters in this. And at one point they even get giant size. Mm-hmm. The uh I want to say the spider creature, the red one, mm-hmm. is the one that increases in size and i completely forgot about that fight scene when inframan was like okay fine and he grows you know he had the ability to increase his size and then they have the big battle scene in the power lines and, <laughs> and you know he thinks he destroys the the creature and then you see the little creature running away and i'm like oh i remember this and then he steps on it i was shocked by that yeah i thought they would have cut away but that was something you probably would, wouldn't even see in today's cinema at some point. I mean, unless it was heavily, heavily digitized. You know, seeing true special effects was another another good That's thing true. about this movie. That's true. There were some optical effects, or at least what passed for optical effects in 1975. Mm-hmm. But no, I was kind of shocked by that, and I was shocked that it was it was almost kind of brutal. Mm-hmm. I guess. You know, I've been watching a lot of Godzilla movies and, and Ultraman and Ultra Q and things like that. And yeah, the monsters get killed or dispatched or whatever, but it's not 100% bloodless, but not as bloody. It's right. not very gooey. And when Ultra, Ultraman, look at me, when Inframan steps on that little monster, I mean, it it's gooey. It's yeah. it splishes out, out from underneath his boot. Mm-hmm. Didn't exactly expect that. But then it is 1975, so there are some things that they're doing here that you wouldn't see in, say, like a 1960s Godzilla movie. Right. Uh, like when the guy gets dropped into the pit. <laughs> yeah. And you see him burn up when he hits the magma at the bottom. I'm flashing mm-hmm. back to Temple of Doom there. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's a lot of stuff. I mean, the 70s overall the film and even television it seems looking back 70s tv and 70s movies were a different kind of violent than they were heading into the 80s and 90s where it was more sanitized more clean looking yeah especially in like the the late 80s and then right into the 90s when everything was super i think you said sanitized is the best way to put Mm -hmm. it yeah Mm -hmm. everything got very scrubbed clean and and not very gritty and grimy and 
Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wanted to get dirty. But yeah, you're right. In the 70s and in the early 80s, it was a, a different time. Exactly. And now it's starting to cycle back through. I mean, we're starting to get more gritty television, more gritty movies. Um, you know, everything has its time, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, this, this definitely showed something that I don't think a lot of people were expecting at the time. Especially considering that I'm imagining the target audience was kids. Mm-hmm. You know, the market, if you look at a lot of the other robot stuff of that era, their children seem to be more aware of things than ours were. You know, when we were doing Saturday morning cartoons and the, you know, Schoolhouse Rock, I think their cartoons were more abrupt and <laughs> than, abrupt than ours were. It, yeah. Yeah. So. But yeah, I mean, that, that fight seems fun. Mm-hmm. The dubbing of some of the monsters is cartoony at times yeah the guy with the drill on the hand and i don't know what the names of any of these monsters are but there's a guy with the drill on his hand and he's breaking into the transformer area and he's going to blow it up with a bunch of sticks of dynamite he's got the very over-the-top cartoony voice yes i think that was that that was nemesis wasn't it or was that the other i don't remember yeah that might have been nemesis because you know, like I was mentioning earlier, there weren't any names to these monsters. I mean, they were the mutants, and then Nemesis was the only true named one other than the villainous. And even her sidekick, what was her name? Demon? Yeah, Lord she did. Demon there was another girl. Or yeah. There was another woman that I wanted to talk about as well, because she had something pretty cool that <laughs> I can't help but wonder if Del Toro saw that at one point. Because she holds up her hands and she's got the eyes and the hands. Oh yeah, like the pan's labyrinth. Type. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was pretty. That was neat. And then they start shooting lasers out of the eyes and all that. But it was really kind of cool mm-hmm. to see. So I didn't expect that. I knew the hands looked a little funny when you're seeing her manipulate her hands. They look odd. Mm-hmm. But then she's surrounded by these mutants and monsters, so she fit in. Exactly. But then she holds the hands up and then she's got eyes in the palms of her hands that start shooting lasers or whatever they were. I thought that was pretty cool. That was that was really cool. Spoiler: later on, she gets them cut off. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> Which again, there's a, little, a sense of finality and brutality in this movie that I think you wouldn't necessarily expect going into it with her hands getting cut off, and then later on, somebody's head gets chopped off. Which, <laughs> well, that was a, that was a bloodless chop. You know, it was kind of. It was wonderful though because it just kept happening over and over again. Right, right, and he just he, he kept. You almost thought to yourself, okay, when is this going to end? When is he going to try another tact? And then yeah. he tries the other tact and it wins, you know? <laughs> so, and I was like, why didn't he think of that, you know, before the 36 times he cuts, cuts this chick's head off? I, I looked over at Brenda, who's sitting next to me watching this movie, and he said, I still want to see a shot of the pile of heads at the bottom of the floor. <laughs> and they do show it. Yes. If you notice, they, there's like three or four heads on the ground. Oh, it was brilliant. I had so much fun watching this movie. I had yeah. so much fun. It does feel very episodic. Mm-hmm. It felt like maybe it could have been chopped up and run on television. Yes. And maybe even set up for a longer series because there is some, I suppose, foreshadowing taking place. It doesn't look like there was ever a sequel made, but there's some mm-hmm. foreshadowing taking place when there's the family. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is the professor's family. I'm not I sure. Think so. Yeah. I, I, I they're think out having right. a picnic or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the little girl. I want to be infra girl when I grow up. And wow. it's like, well, it's going to, you know, it would be tough and you got to go through a lot of stuff. And I felt the ending was a bit abrupt too. Yeah. I mean, the just, movie went right up to the end and then they only, there was only like 30 seconds where they wrapped it all up. They all get in that 
beat up boat and mm-hmm. boat away. <laughs> exactly. And again, it felt like it could have been a series or there could have been more to it. Further Adventures of Inframan, Inframan and Infragirl and The Revenge of Princess Dragon Mom. I, I, I don't know. I could have seen more. I would like to see more. It's a shame that this was kind of a one and done deal. Right. I guess they didn't hold in as many people as they were hoping to. Well, the Shaw Brothers weren't necessarily known for this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. You know, not in the 70s anyway, or ever, really. Yeah, it was kind of a, it was probably a precursor to, you know, things like Ultraman. And- well, Ultraman came out in the 60s, but I could definitely see, like, a lineage here where there's Ultraman and, and Kamen Rider and then this and then the Power Rangers later. Oh, know, yeah, I guess that was earlier, yeah. 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 But, I mean, again, this was a Chinese film, whereas all the other stuff was Japanese. So. Japanese, yeah. It was China's, you know, trying to cut into the market that they just, I guess they didn't make as well. Yeah. It's a shame because it was a blast. Now, you said you saw this as a kid. Yes. Did you see it start to finish? Did you know what you were going into when you first saw it? From what I remember, because it, it was just so long, I was like maybe, I think, eight or nine when I saw this movie. And it was just, I figured, 1977, 78. And the only thing I remember seeing is the poster on the outside of the of the theater because they had the from what i remember this place it was called the park four theater in in ralston nebraska i mean population of about you know maybe eight thousand and they had the coming soon marquee and this was one of the posters on it i was like oh that looks really cool so yeah i went into it totally expecting just a you know almost a cartoon and uh and then just coming out just blown away at this superhero monster movie. And I wish I had seen that as a kid in the theater. I don't know where I first, where I saw parts of it. It might have been, you know, on Showtime or something. We were a Showtime household growing up, so it might have been something like that. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the movie poster is amazing. I want a copy of that movie poster now. Yeah, that movie poster is is really cool. I mean, even by today's standards, it's it's a really really well thought out poster. It looks like there are other copies of this movie, like a more cleaner edit. I was just. Looking at that and noticing that there is an addition from Image Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the reviews are pretty good. Yeah, it came out. Looks like 2006, so we must be looking at the same thing. It's only nine dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking that might be a purchase. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Amazon wishlist. Exactly. But yeah, overall, this was such a fun movie. I don't, I don't think you can get any more fun for that era, at least coming from the from the place it did. That's the biggest word you can use for this movie is fun. And if you read the reviews on the, on the DVD, so many people say it's fun and insane. And one says the best bad movie ever made. (laughs) I don't know if it's a bad movie. (laughs) I didn't think it was bad at all. Like I said, I I thought it was uh, the dubbing was one of the better ones. The acting, you know, it was, it was decent for its time. Yeah, and when I asked you which version of the movie you were watching, because I wanted to make sure that I was on the same page, mm-hmm. and not realizing that the only version on Amazon was this dubbed version, you had even mentioned that the dubbing kind of made it even more fun and entertaining. And there is a level of cheese and cartooniness to it, mm-hmm. especially with that one monster that I was describing earlier. I don't know if this movie would be nearly as... I mean, it still be entertaining, mm-hmm. but the level of fun, at least for us Americans... right. You know, English-speaking audience members here. There is a sense of fun that comes with that cheesy dubbing. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a textural thing, maybe. It's, it's subtle. Maybe. It's like watching film versus digital. You know, it's it's a subtle thing. Mm-hmm. But it still gives kind of a level of fun and goofy Saturday afternoon 
give me a bucket of popcorn and a big giant soda larger than my bladder and I'm set. Right, exactly. You know, just 90 minutes of eye candy. Man, I'm wishing, I'm wishing I could have seen this movie in the theater on the big screen. How much fun would it be to see this thing? Wow. You know, Ray, I'm jealous of you, brother. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking the time to talk about Inframan and bringing that into my life proper. Like I mentioned, I think I've seen bits and pieces of this growing up, but to see it in one sitting, man, that's a lot of fun. It was a blast. It's a blast recording with you, and I think you guys and gals are going to like listening to part two of our conversation of Inframan, which is going to be coming out here in a couple of days on episode number 94. Before I sign off, I want to go ahead and mention that the Hollywood Theater has finally announced the showtimes for Godzilla, which means the upcoming Monster Kid Radio Crash on May 3rd. We have a time. It's only showing once every day Godzilla's showing at the Hollywood Theater here in Portland, Oregon. And on Saturday, it's showing at 3 p.m. If you are in the Portland, Oregon area, I sure would like to see you. I sure would like to watch Godzilla with you at the Hollywood Theater. We have an event page set up on Facebook, or you can go over to hollywoodtheater.org. And that's theater spelled R-E, not E-R. Dot org. You can buy your tickets in advance, and if you are going to be there, look me up. I'll be wearing the Hawaiian shirt, and I'll be the guy who looks like he's having the most fun in the room, and I'll have my recorder with me. Might even record a little bit with you for an upcoming episode of Monster Kid Radio. I know Ray's excited about being there. Ray actually came to the very first Monster Kid Radio crash, which was where we went to the local drive-in movie theater to see Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D. Well, I recorded with him. But we haven't put that out on the show because we are working on putting together a creature spinoff. But the way to do the spinoff is we've got to get 50 reviews in the iTunes store. If you're a user of iTunes, head over there, drop us an honest review. And once we hit 50, we'll get that spinoff going. And you'll be able to hear Ray's thoughts on Creature from the Black Lagoon. He had never seen it before. So I was really excited to hear what he had to say about it. And I'm excited to share that with the listeners once we get that show going, once we get to 50 reviews in the iTunes store. Again, big thanks to The Abstinence for letting us play their music on the show. You're going to hear more of their music in the next episode. Again, you can find them over at the-abstinence.bandcamp.com. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC. is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song The Sheriff of Chinatown. It appears on the album Al Infuerno and Paz by The Abstinence. Appears on this episode with their permission. Talk to you guys and gals in a couple of days. <laughs>